Thanks for spending time with Fusion Community Church through our podcast. These can be accessed anytime through iTunes or on our website, fusioncommunity.church. We hope you enjoy today's message from Pastor Andrew Fetter. Well, as we continue the series, I hope that um, if anything is connected with you in, in the course of the last month and as we move forward these last couple of weeks, as we look at the Bible, at the book of the Bible of, in this book called Ephesians, and this letter the Apostle Paul's writing from prison to the church in Ephesus, um, I hope you're seeing that there's not, there's not a lot more God is calling us to do in this book. Uh, sometimes we can be filled with messages we want practical, applicable, like, okay, tell me what I need to do, tell me I need to respond. This is more internal. This is something that really nobody on the outside can gauge or or. Or, or change in us, it has to be something we begin to, to adjust or address internally, and it's yielding more of our lives to God. And so the first three chapters deal with us personally, in a way, intimately with our relationship with Jesus, where the behaviors of our lives won't change if the desires of our hearts don't change first. And so the first one is making that shift from more effort and more trying and more striving and, and trying harder on our part to focusing more on Jesus and recognizing as we just follow him, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, then it becomes easier to be obedient to him as we just give him more and more space in our mind and in our lives and in our focus. In chapter two, we looked at this shift from more volunteers to more masterpieces. This really has to do with how we look at ourselves in the mirror, that we don't see ourselves in the midst of our weaknesses and flaws and things we wish we could change, we see ourselves through the lens of who God says we are. And we grow increasingly to define ourselves the way God does. The third chapter, we looked at a shift of motivation from more guilt driving our behaviors and actions to more love. These first three chapters really deal individually. And then in chapter four, there's a transition that happens. A page is turned. And, and now it's beginning to address if we begin to live this made for more life promise Jesus offers, then, then what's that going to mean for the body as a whole? You know, it's one thing if one knuckle makes the change and makes the shift. But now what if the entire hand and, and the, the wrist and the arm and the shoulder and then across the chest, what if the body of Christ is making these shifts? What begins to happen. And, and in chapter 4, we, we saw God kind of issue a new system or structure for the church, giving us five different gift mixes throughout the context of the church body and shifting from more hierarchies to more missionaries. The whole goal is to equip God's people for the work of service, that the work of ministry is for all of us to share. And what we set our mind and our hearts to pursue in life shifts. We don't have to try to scale a ladder by ourselves in an isolated way. It's not going to be rewarding. It's not going to be fulfilling. It's not going to be satisfying. It might even leave us lonely at the end when we get to the top. But instead, lay that ladder down and begin to build bridges to one another that God is going to invite people across and experience deeper, more beautiful relationships and so we touched on the first part of chapter 4 last week, and I want to begin there again. We're going to kind of pick up the tail end of chapter 4 and transition into chapter 5 for the fifth shift we need to make. But I'm not going to put the text on the screen. You can open up your Bible, open up the Bible app. Some of you have Bibles under your chairs. You can pull out Ephesians 5. I'm not going to put the text word for word on the screen because sometimes there's words that pop out of the text that get lost in sentences and paragraphs. So I'm actually going to put a list up as I approach various things in the content of the last part of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. So, so let me begin reading this from the New Living Translation. As Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, he's going to highlight specific things that I, I think we don't want to miss this morning. Verse 21, he says, Since you've heard about Jesus, you've learned the truth that comes from him. Now, once again, he's reestablishing what he started with at the very beginning. My audience here are people that are already followers of Christ. They're already Christians. They're followers of the way. 
That's the audience he's taking into account. Not the lost world around us. Those gathered as a part of the church body. You've learned the truth that comes from him. So throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. He's going to begin to list out what does that look like? The old sin nature. Corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Here's that internal struggle. Let the Spirit of God change the way you think, your thoughts, and your attitudes, the way you feel about things, what it is you desire in life. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This is so cool. This language uses this because it's pointing all the way back to Genesis 2 and 3. That when God made us, he made us in his image. We were already like him. And what's the temptation of, of the enemy, Satan? When he shows up in the garden, what does he do? His, his first temptation to the first two people that God had created is the same as his temptation ever since. It's to try to get them to believe God is a liar. To doubt what God had to say. God says, I've made you in my image. And Satan comes along and says, well, if you do this, then you'll be like God. And we know that in that rebellion... In that disobedience, their identity was broken. And Christ came to restore that. And so Paul's drawing attention to that. Let the Spirit of God within us, comes from within us now, He's inside of us, renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. You've been restored, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He's identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Then we turn the page over to chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't participate in the things these people do. Now, I know what you're thinking. You look at this list. It hardly even fits on the screen, right? You look at this list and you're just like, man, Thursday was rough. I think eight of those I broke, right? It's like, and, and, and maybe seriously, you're just like, man, like these are struggles for me every single day. It's like, I, how am I not hopeless in this list? Well, hold on. God's word is filled with lists of morality. God's our creator. He has authority and permission to say this is right and this is wrong. And we live in a culture at a time, no different than those who came before us, but we live in a culture and a time that wants to say, well, I don't know if God meant that. I mean, I have this desire within me, and, 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 if, and if, it's, if it's what I want and I'm not hurting anybody, then, then what's the problem? Why has that got to be evil or wrong? 
It's just something that I want. It's just the way I feel about myself or about the desires that my body has or my mind has, my thoughts, my my imagination. God has permission and authority to say, this is right, this is wrong. There's even a certain segment of our society now, even those that want to follow Jesus but want to begin to look at the words of Scripture and begin to parse and take things out and say, yeah, we don't think he meant that now. We want to change the nature of what God says is right and wrong. We, we don't want to look at the Bible as the final authority, but just as a book of, of helpful information and direction. But as soon as you remove your view of the Bible as the authority of the Word of God, all of a sudden you can begin to excuse. And that's what Paul says. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. The anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. So we have to hold up the truth of what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Way back in chapter 1, we already discussed In order for us to do what's right, we don't have to try harder to do right. Because even then we reach an end of ourselves. We have a weakness and a flaw. We need to just we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him. We have to stay, as as Jesus says in John 15, stay connected to the vine, and then you'll bear much fruit. That if we stay connected to him, where we get our strength and direction and sustenance, then good deeds will be the outcrop of that decision. Remember, you're not saved by good deeds, you're saved for good deeds. For your good deeds to make an impact that has lasting impact, not just a moment, a flash in the pan, then it's gone. So whenever God gives a list in his word that's hard to read because we feel condemnation, the truth is it's because we see the darkness we each struggle with in parts of the list. Yeah, there's some things on there that's like, yeah, that's not really me, that's not really me, I don't really struggle with that. Oh boy, that one's totally me. We see the darkness we struggle with, and the temptation is to excuse it, to justify it, to point the blame on somebody else, say, well, is that really what God means? What's the real definition there? The bad news is that you and I still regularly do bad things in rebellion to God. We still fall into sin. We get selfish. And if anybody ever says to you, well, why go to church? It's filled with hypocrites. Look them right in the eyes and just say to them, hey, we got an empty seat for you, man. Come join us. Come join us. Because all of us struggle with hypocrisy. There's things we want to do that we don't do. There's things we want to stop doing that we keep doing. That's a humanity problem. That's not exclusive within the church. It should be that here in a gathering, reflecting on the word of God, we just have the courage to call it out. Say, yeah, that's what I struggle with. I mean, the Apostle Paul does that himself in another letter. He says, the good I want to do, I don't do. But the bad I don't want to do, I keep doing. I'm a wretched human being. The fact is, we all still battle with sin. We all still struggle with hypocrisy. Everyone you know is trying to put on a mask and project themselves in a certain way. And deep down, they're battling with some darkness. This is the whole reason when people post stuff to Facebook and Instagram, you've been there. You take seven or eight pictures, and then you look at them, you're like, yeah, this is the best one. That's the one I want to post nobody looks at seven or eight pictures and says, man, where am I looking? I've got one eye closed. I look like a cyclops. That's the worst picture of me in history. I'm going to post that one. Yeah, I want to post that one. Nobody does that except to say, hey, look how terrible this is, right? To draw attention to that. We all have these masks. We all have these projections. Meanwhile, we, we know we have some struggles too. Paul lists out what we know from the outside looking at others. Those are nasty, unattractive traits in other people. Paul goes a step further. He declares that they're sins to God. Anger, bitterness, foul language, lust, obscenity, the list goes on. It's a list of bad news that could quickly make us feel condemnation. But remember, God always gives us good news that trumps the bad news. Sometimes we have to search a little for it. Sometimes we have to ask God, okay, God, here I'm seeing these things listed that are evil, these things that are wrong, these things that are rebellious to you that show my heart of of wrath and, and resistance to you. 
God, where's the gospel? I promise you it's always there. Everywhere, because God is a good dad. He wants to proclaim what's true, but then he wants to give us hope that that's not what defines us now. And and here it just happens to be the very next verse. And I want to put this one on the screen. Verse 8, Paul says this, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Do you get the, the key here? It's not about us changing us. It's about God's change in us. It's accepting what's true, believing what's true. Once I was full of darkness, now I have light from the Lord so I can live that reality. Live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So when we produce sin, when we produce disobedience, when we produce things that we're ashamed of, it's that old dead darkness rising back up. You know, when it's dark out and you're scared, if you have a light at your disposal, I mean, most of them we have on our phone now, right? Like flashlights aren't really a major thing. But when you turn on that light, it pushes back the darkness. It exposes what's really there. I mean, you ever been outside? You're walking on a, you know, a path, a road, or light. the sun's going down. You're walking on your property through the woods, and you hear something, and you turn your light in that direction because you're a little unsure. And if it's not a grizzly bear or coyote or rabid fox or something, which 99.9% of the time, it's nothing like that. It's like a chipmunk, and you're like, oh, okay, that's not a big deal. I'm not scared anymore. Because the light pushes back the darkness, and it exposes what's really there. One of the things we love to do is go camping, and, and one of the things that we found with our three girls is that the mo- like on the high- one of the highest things on the list of boxes to check, do all of the flashlights have fresh batteries? Because like, their heart is broken if like, their, battery, their flashlight they picked out with their colors and design, they hit the button and they got no light, right? Because as soon as that sun starts to go down, it's like, where's my flashlight? And they want to get it out and play around with it. And you know, it's, it's great until it's completely dark. You're sitting at the fire, and all of a sudden, there's these lights in your eyes, and my wife gets a migraine. You know, that's, that's where it get, goes a little... But, but when we, like, there's, last summer, there was a time when we stayed at one of the state campgrounds, and, and there was this path. We were out by the fire. There's this little path to the bathroom. And of course, they can go in the camper and go to the bathroom, but it's fun to walk in the path at night. So they get their flashlights. We start walking. And what's so funny is I follow behind them and let them have the flashlights because I don't want to get it in my eye. If they're in front of me, they're pushing it forward. And so all of a sudden you hear this little rustling of leaves. And what happens with all three lights? What's that? Right? And then when the light exposes, it's nothing. It was the wind. Okay. You keep walking. Then all of a sudden you hear something over here. What's that? Who's there? Right? And they get to shoot the light around. A flashlight is a powerful weapon that exposes what's real in the dark. God tells us a list of things that represent the old life ruled by sin, but he exposes them as subconscious things, and he shines his light on them to make them conscious in our minds. Because now we have a new power at work, a new Lord. And the old excuses, the old identity, they, they aren't in charge anymore. That was when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we've been made new in Christ. We've been resurrected. That light has woken us up. So live as a person of the light. And the light inside of you is the presence of God's Spirit. Not just His presence, but the power of God's Spirit so we can live the life of the light. In essence, what Paul's saying is, hey, you've forgotten who you are. Remember who you are. Maybe even more powerfully saying, remember whose you are. You don't belong to this world anymore. You belong to a good dad. And that list, it represents who you used to be. That was the bondage you came from. Jesus has now set you free. His light has exposed reality, and you, it pushes back the darkness. You have nothing to fear. You're not condemned any longer. You're not in bondage to what lies in the dark. You're forgiven, and you're liberated. So Paul continues, verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. 
Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This text is to remind us where we've come from. Yeah, sometimes that old way of life, it pops back up like a -a whack-a-mole, you know? So grab the hammer and smack that thing quick and drive it right back down into its hole. Take no, no participation. Take no part in the worthless ways of that old pattern. Instead, expose them. When they reveal themselves, let the light of Christ shine on those evil desires within us that sometimes rise. And, and it's really an issue of control. What is it that controls you? What is it that controls you? Do you know? Does the light of Jesus and his rescue of you, does that, is that the greatest influence on your desires and your thought life and your dreams and, and what you're pursuing? From the moment you were born, before you even knew any better, you were looking for things to do, things to fill your time with, right? It started with just basically eating and sleeping. Then every once in a while you fill a diaper, right? That's all it is. And then it kind of grows from there. You start to want to put everything in your mouth. What's interesting is that never changes. You still kind of keep wanting to put lots of things in your mouth. It's just you care about what they taste like down the road, right? But you start rolling over. You start getting into things. You try to reach for things. You start crawling and you get into more and you make messes. You start walking. Then you start climbing and terrifying your parents. So they put gates up to keep you contained in cages. You know, you still stick things in your mouth, but now it's stuff. It's just like, oh my goodness, why did you do that, right? This is what we do as humans. We get bored when we just sit around too long. It's wired within us to want to find things to do with our time, to preoccupy ourselves. And it's not an accident. It's how God has created us. We are created as a masterpiece, and we're given a purpose. So the rest of our lives, when we're awake and alert, we're kind of on this pursuit to find out what is that thing we're supposed to do. It's it's a hardwired thing within us. God has placed that needs to be directed and pursued in relationship to him. And so what do we do? We fill our lives with lots of programs that are experimental to try to figure it out. Programs, in this concept of programs today, just think about everything you've ever done or attempted to do or participated in, right, or attended, anything like that. I mean, that could be when you were younger, your kids are like you put them in sports programs, is this it? And so you experiment with that. No, not wired for that. Or yeah, man, boy, they're good at sports and they really love them. Or you do FFA or you do 4-H or maybe it's something musical or, or in the arts or theater, Maybe it's programs related to fitness or exercise. Maybe later on in your life it was a class that you took because you wanted to learn a new skill, something that was fascinating to you, and you wanted to grow in it. So it was a program that you attended and participated in. It could be much later in life when when you're going to college and you're pursuing a degree or or a certification in your field that you're trying to earn because you want to see it open doors in the future and and you're passionate about it. It a A program could be some project at work that you pour yourself into. It could be something you do to increase your your financial portfolio, right? At one point, you're like, you know what? I want more money. Like, I want stuff. I I want my own place. So I get a job. And then at some point, maybe you get a second job because you want even more of that. And so you place yourself there because of what it's going to bring you. Maybe down the road, you buy an investment property and now you have tenants and you're because of the, what you, what you're chasing in the future. Programs are the various things we participate in that quickly fill up our lives. And so quickly, those programs that always take time in our calendar and our schedule, if we're not careful, some of them can start to control us, the pursuit of them. You ever started a Netflix series, a television program? You watch another episode, another, and another? 
It's just a show, but man, it's good. And you can't, man, that's a cliffhanger. What happens next? Then all of a sudden you realize I slept three hours and I got to get up for work, right? Takes control of you. You ever buy something you've always wanted, you're excited about owning? It's just awesome until all of a sudden, man, to maintain this thing, like you're scheduling it into your calendar, it's taking you away from other things, and you feel like a slave to it at some point, and you're just like, man, i got to be free of this, and you decide to sell it, and it's more gratifying to get rid of it than it ever was to have it. You ever want to achieve something you think is going to make your life better, so you pour yourself into it? Man, when I get that master's degree, it's going to open doors. When I get that promotion, when I get that raise, then I'll, then I'll really get to do what I really want to do. Then I'll have what I really think I deserve, only to find that the pursuit of that is all-consuming and controlling every other facet of your life. I mean, some of us, our schedule's controlled when, when the Mets or the Yankees or the Red Sox are on. Like, everything else stops, everything else that's going on is put aside, and, and the TV goes on, and boy, don't talk when the game's on. Programs are things that fill up our schedules. There are hobbies and passions, the activities we involve our kids in. The things we do, we, we even nurture our kids to find those things and fill the schedule with those things. Even submitting to our kids at times to give them the authority to control our schedule. But if we're honest, oftentimes the programs we do, the things we participate in and attend, we just do them to do them, to fill up the time. And very easily, even being a Christian, going to a church worship gathering or, or turning on the TV or or, or the, the phone or the tablet on a Sunday morning when it's live or on a Tuesday evening after it's happened, when it's convenient to the schedule, when you have a window, you could just kind of treat being a Christian as just something that I do. Yeah, it's just one of those programs. Like Sundays, yeah, we, we go to church. It makes us feel good. Then after that, we, we get lunch, and then uh, that's a program we do. And then after that, we, uh, we go and we get groceries. That's a program that we do. Then we go home, and normally I mow the yard if it's not too wet out, and that's a program that I do. And then we take the kids to ball practice, and then we go to bed, time, we go to bed and then it's bedtime, and then we get up and go to work. That's the next thing that we do. And, and it's just one of those many things in a long list of all the things that we do. Right here in chapter 5, the shift God is calling us to make isn't so much anything we have to do, or add to the already busy schedule. It's just changing the way we look at our schedule. And everybody, everywhere that we already are. Shift number five to experience the more in life God has created is to shift from more programs to more mission fields. This is an emphasis on, on, okay, who's controlling us? Is it my desire for my kids to do well in sports? Is it my desire for my own finances? Is it my desire for this skill or, 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 uh, or training or, or degree that I'm pursuing? Is it my desire for my own you know, professional career? Is it desire for this hobby? This is an emphasis on who's in control. Are we being controlled by the Holy Spirit or is our flesh driving us forward? That our lives are not to be about, if we're followers of Jesus, what we want day in and day out. God has created us to enjoy this world and to enjoy so many things he's laid out for us. But the one who's rescued us is the one that we're to yield control to. When we've been saved and we've been filled with the fullness of Jesus in every way, that's, that's chapter 1 of Ephesians. Got Jesus filling the world with the fullness of himself in every way. When we've been saved... And then in chapter 2, and we're now a masterpiece with a specific purpose. And then chapter 3, and we're motivated by love to live this life in chapter 4 as a missionary. And that everywhere we are is a mission field. And we, are, we get to be this light in a dark world and share it. Because the truth is, so many people you know in your circle right now, in your mission field, they're scared of the dark. 
Stuff that they're battling, that they're going through, that they've been fighting probably for a long time, that's probably, Scripture would say, is something the parents fought and the grandparents fought and the great-grandparents fought too. Something that was nurtured, something they caught. They they were never taught in a classroom, but they caught somewhere along the way, and it's a darkness that they're wrestling with, and they're terrified of what's in the dark, and they feel completely in, in bondage to it. But if you've come to Christ, God has made you different now. He's redeemed you. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness, Peter would say. Now you're carrying this light. You're sharing this light with others. And you have the power of God's spirit to live as a child of the light. That means that everywhere we go, every spot on your calendar that's filled is a mission field. Yeah, there's a lot of things you participate in, but, and, and none of those things really need to change so long as they're not in that list of things that are rebellious to God. None of those things probably need to change. It's just a matter of you change why you're there. You change what your focus is when you're there, right? I mean, you're, there's still bleachers you sit in to watch your kids, but now you recognize those bleachers are your mission field. There's still a business you walk into maybe a couple of times a week, and you know the person behind the counter because you buy stuff from there all the time because it's something you're passionate about or it's a hobby of yours or it's your profession. And now it's like, now I know when I walk into that store, that's my mission field. Or there's a school you know you can be blindfolded and you can find your way around because you're there five days a week. It's your mission field. Or there's a neighborhood, and you know the colors of every house and where they are, and you know the, na- the yards to avoid because the dogs aren't on the leash because they come and get you, right? Because you've lived there for years. That's your mission field. It's shifting from thinking about our daily schedule as ours and all the things we want to do or we need to do and start to think about, okay, who are the people God's going to have me interact with today that I might be able to share light with, that I might be able to bring hope to? It's a transformative idea. It changes our lives. When you don't know what to do in those moments, normally we're paralyzed by the thought of, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Okay, but you have the light. Trust the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you as you go. As you step out in faith to say, okay, I'm going to bring light. It's going to start with just listening. And there's going to be things run through your head. Man, I feel like I should say this. I feel like I should say this. There's going to be times where you don't say it. That's okay. God's grace is sufficient for that. But the time's going to come where you have the courage to say, do you think maybe, maybe, just maybe, Part of the problem is you try and do all, all this on your own. And there's somebody out there that loves you and, and wants to walk through your life with you. Like you don't know what the Holy Spirit might say, but he will use your words and your spirit and your heart to say it powerfully and effective. And then this is how he closes out this section. Paul says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first, you might say, hey, there's another thing on that list. You might say, hey, why is Paul picking on drunkenness? I mean, in our culture, it's kind of celebrated. Hey, man, Friday, 5 o'clock somewhere. Right? During the week, there's even little emojis people post. Can't wait. Why's Paul got to go there and talk about drunkenness? Maybe even you kind of feel, man, why's he got to do that? Because there's some, some of that darkness that you battle. Is alcohol inherently sinful? No, nowhere in Scripture does it say that. But drunkenness is talked about a number of times. Why? Well, think about what happens. This is going from subconscious to conscious, bringing things into the light. What happens in drunkenness? You are now under control of whatever it is you were drinking. You cannot be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So now you have to wrestle with, am I alarmed by that? Now, drunkenness is one idea here, but there's a ton of others that could be referenced, right? 
And this has nothing to do with legal or illegal. There's a number of things in our society that are perfectly legal that God's word says this is incredibly dangerous because it'll take control of your desires and your thoughts and your drive. What is it that controls your cravings, your desires, your thoughts? This has nothing to do with what culture says. This has to do with what God says. What is it that causes God's spirit to take a back seat and he's no longer Lord over your life? I'll give you an illustration of this in kind of a fun way. Last month, two of our girls had birthdays. And of course, for their birthday, turning seven and nine, they got some cards with with money or gift cards in them. And as soon as they opened them, you could see the switch happen in their brain because they were controlled with a desire to spend that. They had money, like, Dad, Dad, can we go to Walmart? Can we please go to Walmart? It's like, why? She's like, because I've got to spend this. I'm like, what do you want? She's like, I don't know, but I'm sure there's something there that I want. Like, it took control of them. I have a 10-year-old that, that loves reading, and I'm so thankful for that. But, like, she was sending me all these Amazon links for all these books. I'm like, babe, I'm not spending $50 on a three-book series that you're going to read once and put on a shelf. Like, they're not used on Amazon. That's what we've bought in the past. I was like, I'll tell you what. I know maybe locally this book series isn't available. Let's go to the, you know, to Albany area. And so we went to the Schenectady library and sure eyes just got so big. And she's like, these are all free. And I'm like, yeah, they're free. And we literally, we got, we went through like five or six different books in literally like the last seven or eight days. And, and uh, a few nights ago, she got one book and finished it that night. It's like a 150 page book and she just loves novels. She gets finished with it. She comes back down and, and it's bedtime. They're already in bed. She likes to read at night. And she's just like, dad, I finished it. We've got to go back to the library. I'm like, babe, it's closed. It's 930. Like she is so controlled by the, des- I got to know what happens next. And Paul says, be careful how you live. Not like fools. Be wise, not do wise, be wise. What does that mean? Make the most of every opportunity. Know what God wants. Don't be controlled by anything else that you want, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, the light that you carry. And then he says, he says, worship God publicly, but also in your own heart and thank him for everything. You know, for us as a church, there is a, a step you can take of increased commitment to the body. Where you say, you know what, this is my home church. These are my brothers and sisters. And I'm going to go on a journey through life together with them, hand in hand. And that step we call partnership or, or membership. And today's kind of a Sunday set aside where we welcome new partners into our family that are making this increased commitment. They're accepting this vow. And, uh, and today's awesome. We have 16 people that have been attending the church for a while, and they've chosen to want to take this step today. Uh, we even have somebody for the very first time joining us that's joined us kind of exclusively online. They're from over an hour away, uh, and they're a regular part of a disciple maker group, and they're on every Sunday, and they're participating in conversation and building community uh, that's making the, taking this step as well. And today's a great day to talk about partnership and welcome people into this vow because partnership is not a commitment to participate in all the programs the church offers. It's not like, okay, my schedule is now submitted to everything happening at Fusion. We'll be here every time the doors are open. There was a time where we kind of thought that's what membership was. It's not true. The commitment to membership or partnership together with the bride of Christ is to say, okay, this is not just a program I attend. It's not just a place I go. This is who I am. I want to live my life on mission in the mission field God's already laid out for me. The places I already am. Church membership or partnerships designed for two purposes. It's kind of a formal, first it's a formal step into the discipleship journey here with brothers and sisters. It's the admission none of us have arrived. None of us are there. We're a work in process. 
And partnership is a step towards one another as disciples who make disciples of one another. Iron sharpening iron. The second thing is that so we can, we can publicly make a vow to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that we're in this together for this mission. That we exist to reach one more person, one more disciple to make disciples at any cost. We're willing to put ourselves aside and focus on people far from God and help them grow to understand that they're a masterpiece. And, and, and we've been given a mission by God individually as well as collectively, and they get to be a part of that as well. So we've got some folks here in the room, uh, somebody joining us online as well. So I'm just going to invite you to stand. I kind of had your certificates given out to you. Just stand where you are. Over here we've got Mario and Martin and Letty and Nancy. I know Steve and Abigail and Tracy. Would you guys join me in giving them a hand? Thanking them for taking this step. So remember that today the commitment that you're making is not a commitment to an organization. It's not a commitment to a building. This building falls tonight. The church still exists. The commitment, the covenant together still stands. This is a commitment to brothers and sisters. It's an organic commitment to the family of God that he's assembled at this time in this place under the banner of Fusion Community Church. Because the church is made of flesh and blood. It's you, it's me, it's us. So by standing here this morning, you're accepting the five core values on the side. The first is worship, to continue pursuing Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and obediently surrendering to him what he asks of our time, talents, and treasure. He's our Lord. Number two is connecting, to consistently connect with God one-on-one, but also to connect and build relationships with the community of the church family and allow those friendships and that family relationship to deepen and grow in the years ahead. The third thing is to grow, to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to bring to completion the work God has begun in us, to seek continued change in our lives, not of our own authority, but the authority of God in changing our thinking, our priorities, and even reordering our spirit. A fourth thing is a commitment and a covenant to serve. Not mean, that doesn't mean that every time the doors are open you're serving. It means to be available and anxious for God to speak to us, to serve in the way he's wired us, to recognize our own unique giftings and our own masterpiece mission that God's called us to meet inside the body but also outside of the body. What are the doors God is opening outside of the church family to serve? And the last one is to share, to be ready to, 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 to uh, communicate with words the experience you've had in relationship to God and the redemption you've experienced. And so for those of you that are standing, if you wholly commit yourself to this charge and you join hands with your brothers and sisters in partnership to reach one more disciple-making disciples for Jesus at any cost, just answer, with God's help, I will. Fusion, would you stand and join them? And if you commit to stand side by side with these individuals as we continue day after day to pursue God's vision for us in this valley and beyond building community and loving one another as Christ loves us, would you you say, with enthusiasm, for the sake of the gospel, we will? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these 16 individuals today that are taking this step. And God, it's it's accepting the shift away from just doing things for the sake of doing things. It's away from our flesh just wanting to fill our time and not be bored, to being intentional and strategic and focused that we're discerning what do you want of us, God? What's your will for our lives? What's going to bring glory to you? Where do you want to put us in in the, the fields around us on mission? Would you help us to see, Lord, that nowhere we go is an accident. No, no person we encounter is by chance, but your spirit is a part of it all. Would you even open our eyes to see that in a new way this week? For your name and glory, amen.